Welcome to the Twin Peaks Rewatch Podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. This week we are discussing the 15th episode of Twin Peaks, Lonely Souls. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Um, let's see. This episode was directed by David Lynch. It was written by Mark Frost. It first aired November 10th of 1990, and it was probably the most viewed episode of season two other than the premiere. Yeah. Because as they promoted in advance, uh, I, and as we all now know, the killer is revealed. revealed. Yeah, so yes, indeed. So on this episode, uh, the killer is revealed. Tajimura is revealed. Crucial. Harold's end is revealed, and Nadine is confused. Nadine's confusion is brought to light. <laughs> um. So yeah, this on this episode, a crucial mystery has finally been has finally been solved. Yes. All, all, every question. Tajimura can, is Catherine. Yes. All, all, oh my God. That's, that's how the forum thread started for this yeah. week's episode, and it was the best. But yeah, <laughs> this week. So the majority of this episode, and of, well, the majority of this episode of Twin Peaks and the majority of the, this episode of this podcast will be about the core thread, which more time definitely this episode devoted to that than there has been in a while. Um, uh, but. Maybe let's just quickly, unless you, unless you have any overarching things to say about this episode, I was thinking maybe we could quickly clean out sort of the extraneous plot threads in this episode just, and then just double down on the, the murder. It was a strange episode because I remembered this episode as the one where the killer's revealed and last, mm-hmm. and I remember all the incredibly potent stuff in like the last 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. But I, and I couldn't tell. Okay. So, um, it felt in a lot of ways to me, like all of the other threads were just crammed into the first third of the episode just to get them done. Mm-hmm, yeah. But at the same time, I realized as the episode was going on that, that Lynch was really deliberately like it kept cutting back to just like a random shot of the Palmer's house with the record player on mm-hmm. or a random shot of it with the record player off. Yep. And this it episode sort of, definitely builds dread in yeah. a way that has not happened for a while in the last several episodes, I think. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And it was, it was funny to me just to see all the other threads in a lot of ways kind of just used as fodder as sort of like normalcy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the exception of, of Harold. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So Harold is, is we can just get that out of the way pretty quickly. Okay. Um, Harold was obviously found dead, hung, um, found by Hawk and the sheriff's department investigates. They find a note, uh, Je un homme solitaire, which is the same thing that, the Meals on Wheels kid, played by David Lynch's son, said back several episodes. I guess. Oh, that's right, season. man! I yeah. totally forgot about that. I was like, I, I feel like I've heard that phrase, but mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I really like that scene, um, not because of that specifically, which you know, as I said at the time, like that scene didn't do a huge amount for me at the time. Although it's nice to have a, a I like that little callback in a way that is not overtly referenced. At least I don't think. I don't think they call out the fact that it that it mirrors that because none of the people present when that note is discovered were, yeah there's no actual connection yeah. made other than in the viewer's brain right. yeah and I, I like stuff like that but the thing i really love about this scene is the constant peppering of flashbulb photography which just it's almost as though it's sort of ominous lightning striking except that it's happening indoors uh and it's just kind of going throughout the whole scene but then becomes obviously more even more ominous as uh, they find they find Laura's secret diary 
and Cooper starts reading from it. Um, yep. And uh, I just, I just really like visually that, that treatment. It's really cool. It's very uh, in your face. Yeah. And then I guess it ends on a big overexposure of the flashbulb. Which then I think transitions into into the Johnson Mm -hmm. house. Another small. Also really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? What? Um, Oh, the. Is that the scene that crossfades to the like truck driving by and then it's the exterior of the Johnson house? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Because that was also like, there's a really loud truck sound as it happens. And so it's kind of a nice bridge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh Um, and then we get into that. I mean, do you want to just jump to that or is because uh, talk about Leo, you mean? Yeah. Talk about Leo. Sure. Yeah. This, this is this scene just not that we need any further evidence of this, but so the bot, the, the Bobby stuff in this scene sort of reminded me of two separate things to an, to a very high degree. One is that, oh my God, Bobby's just a high school student. Yeah, but he's like, I'm missing economics right now. I told my mom I've been sleeping over at Mike's house all. I can't keep doing that. Anyway, I'm missing econ. Like, holy shit, this is just some kid. I totally forgot about that. These kids never, like, mention school anymore. Right. Um, And then also, it just reminds you what a total worthless shit he is. Like, one, totally in over his head, clearly. Um, And two kind of clearly just got swept up in all these like romantic ideas about being with Shelly and like earning this money and they're going to have a life except actually when there's any challenge to it at all, he's kind of like, what's this us business? You mean you like, he just instantly drops all responsibility. It's so terrible. It's so hard to watch when they realize that they only have what? $42 a month. Yeah. $42. And then it just, I don't know how deliberate or not the framing of this was, but after a certain point in that scene, it was just, Leo and Bobby both sitting next to each other at the table, kind of slumped, <laughs> and Shelly wandering around. I was just like, oh my god, Shelly, you've just picked up another one of them. Like, basically, she yeah. just has oh two god, of these yeah, guys. You're right. You're right. It's, a, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And her, all, what's really even more of a bummer about it is how she seems to recognize it. Like, when, when Bobby says, uh, what's this us business, she already is just like, I meant me and Leo. Like, she already doesn't, right, yep. is like, not surprised or taken aback in the slightest that he's weaseling out of this responsibility. Like doesn't, doesn't even take her a beat to, yep. to, to, to just come to terms with it because this is what these shitty men are <laughs> clearly intrinsically like here. Yeah. What a, what what, a disaster. Just the worst. Um, I love, 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 love. Oh, and then Leo starts doing his new shoes. Thing. Oh man. <laughs> yes. Um, do, we, do you want to just continue down the Leo thread? Yeah, let's just, let's just because, finish up with Leo. Okay. Because it's... Uh, okay, just... I don't remember the exact next scene that happens. Is the next thing really Mike and Bobby coming back to rip open his boots? No, the next thing is Shelly quitting her job, which is a oh, scene right. that I absolutely love. Um, she, I mean, she's just completely in tears about it, which is, which is sweet. But the thing that I love about it the most, and this is the thing I always love about this character, is how incredibly subtly and effective the actress who plays Norma plays it. She's, she just has the perfect expression for the kind of sort of concerned friend slash older figure. She's totally under, she's like, it's like, I understand. Also, this is terrible. Yeah. Also, I like, but she's totally like kind about it. She's not chastising or like stepping in over. Yeah. She's just, she's just is, she plays it so perfectly. It's so, touching and sweet and such a, just a wonderful scene between these two women who 
um, I think have maybe like one of the only like really healthy friendships on the show. I mean, maybe Cooper and Truman that, you know, there are relatively few kind of just very healthy as far as, as far as relationships, friendships where on the show. two people who are actually rounded out characters who have lives and right. story arcs and human things yeah. and also are friends. And we also get to see their friendship. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot. Yeah. And Usually they're, one they're of the one two of characters, even if they're really good friends, is insane or is sort of two-dimensional like mm-hmm. truman has his thing with josie but even that feels like it's just because he's a pawn for a plot thing not because yeah, it's like that's a need. Mm-hmm. but that also could just be because that actor is can't like well can't who knows yeah. who's to say but <laughs> what's coming out of the screen shelly and norma oh, always yeah, it's, good. it's just so good um so yeah then then there's the bobby and mike thing with the shoe where they find the cassette right okay tape. so this is my favorite thing because <laughs> apparently any pair of shoes that Leo owns is either inside of or contains a secret compartment. <laughs> That's true. Cause this is the second time. Cause Leo's Wait, like, was this the same pair of shoes that they found and impounded or, or no, this is the ones that they got from like a, this, these were being repaired, right? Wasn't that the deal? Like Leo taking these somewhere? Oh, okay. So these weren't the ones that Andy accidentally found. Yeah, no, this is okay. Leo's <laughs> other pair of shoes that is related to a secret stash. So Leo needs a new pair of shoes uh, a few, like a few, many episodes back, which means he – and then he right. was these storing the them ones at the cabin. That, that, were rela- that were the ones he needed to replace. Yes. Yeah. God. But yeah, the heel of these – I completely it? forgot about this thread with the shoe compartment. What was inside that compartment? A I don't cassette know. T- a mini cassette. Oh, right. That hasn't been listened to yet, though, right? No. Twin Peaks loves mini cassettes. They sure do. Hidden compartments and mini cassettes. Yep. Um. So that's that. That's Leo. I mean, we can talk about. I, I feel like the two remaining side stories are Nadine and Pete, and then we can just dig into the real thing, right? Yeah. So uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you disagree? I. We're not talking about the main mystery this week, Chris. It's all. Be soap opera. <laughs> no, no, I meant. Do you agree that these are the two things we yeah, have yeah, left? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Nadine super confused about everything. She thinks it's old. I I really like how uh, this scene was good though because uh, Nadine actually collides with Norma, mm-hmm. and it's just a disaster. And Shelley, yeah, and of course, but of course, Norma. Well, yeah. when she's like. Well, I mean, I hope it's okay because yeah, I know you're s- sweet, sweet on him or whatever, him, yeah. and you're like, oh, heard you guys broke up. Yeah, like, oh, no. This is another case where I, I need to just look up who plays Norma because she, her, her just general ability to pick the perfect facial expression that says everything she needs to say without opening her mouth is amazing. And I think probably this episode reminds me that that might be unparalleled on this show's cast. I don't think there's any other actor on the. Ray Wise sometimes gets it. Ray Wise, yeah, that's true. But he, his, I think, is a narrower band of emotions because so frequently it's like something mixed with being deranged, but, or, or intense. Sure. I I feel like Norma like occupies a non hammy, like non melodramatic role where she just sort of can encapsulate a range of actual normal human emotions that actual real people have that she can communicate extremely effectively um, with just a look or a glance or, or she, I just really am taken by, by how well she's played. Um, and uh, I, I, and it, <laughs> that makes I think that it really enhances all these Nadine scenes because she is so like sort of simultaneously confused and like kind of hurt and and also just kind of like not having it. Uh, right. It's it's good. And then uh, and what which I, I feel like you can contrast the way people's faces react to things with 
the way Ed reacts to this whole thing, which is just to look increasingly like, like oh, just no. bewildered and terrified and, and awkward. He's, I mean, he's, it's also really funny. And like, I totally appreciate his yeah. <laughs> face in the scene. As no, well. it's good. Yeah. That where that actor. Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. Peggy Lipton is the name of the actress who plays, yes. who plays Norma. I should have known that. She was married to Quincy Jones. That's crazy. Oh, and she's the mother of Rashida Jones. Huh. Yes. We've probably mentioned that right yeah. on this podcast. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. That's I'm bad. so bad with actor names. How Twin Peaks exists just somehow at the nexus of the entirety of Hollywood, apparently. <laughs> yeah, just everything. So there's... Oh, and then and then uh, Shelley's also there kind of being confused. It's funny that, that nobody really knows what is going on with Nadine. No. Because, yeah, <laughs> Nadine spent so much of the show just kind of, like, cloistered, making those silent drape runners and just sort of existing off on her own insane yeah. little cutaway thing. Yeah. And now she's just exploding out into Twin mm-hmm. Peaks at, at her most disastrous and it's fine. A thing I really like <laughs> about this scene is when she, I can't remember what the, um, what the, uh, Oh, right. I know what it was when she gets there and she asks Norma how long she's been working at the double R and Norma's like, you know, coming on 20 years now. And Nadine's like, Oh, you kid her. And then Ed, it's like, it's been about six weeks, right? Six weeks. And Norma is like, okay, okay, this is the thing you do when someone's like trying to cover something up, except what on earth can right. What can am I covering up? This is the, <laughs> there's, there's no plausible or yeah. worthwhile lie to be covered up here. Yeah. Uh, that's right. It's coming on six weeks, I guess. <laughs> sure. Other adults who I've known for decades. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? Man. And then I guess there's... Just Nadine crushing a glass and... It just starts bleeding profusely. Just, yeah, ble- bleeding as she kind of like weirdly stares at it. Everything yep. Nadine does at this point is like infused with this weird like posed... Like she'll she'll like move her body into the most extreme pose and then just hold it there. <laughs> even up. as she like rotates <laughs> she around. spins in the bar stool <laughs> yeah. or whatever's going yeah, on yeah. with that. Yeah. And I feel like that that is kind of her thing. Like there's this physical comedy element to the way Nadine is played that... For the five minutes she's in each episode or less. Uh, I know. I don't like the storyline, but there's always yeah, specifics either. of it that are that yeah. are enjoyable because mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't I don't like the thing that has no story. business existing, but yep. it, but here it is, then we're living in it. Yep. But I think it is way better when it ends up colliding with someone like Norma. So you end up just like Oh, I totally agree. When the show acknowledges the contrast and the complete madness of that instead of like sometimes when those scenes are just entirely cordoned off like they have been for the last few weeks. It's easy to sort of slip into, oh, this is just Twin Peaks doing what it's doing and yeah, right. sort of being like, well, mm-hmm. checking that Twin Peaks box. But then when Norma and Nadine actually meet, you're like, oh, right. Okay, good. The show mm-hmm. is in fact fully aware of, of the insanity that is yep. happening right here. Absolutely. It feels better. Um, so that's that. Uh, and then we got Pete and uh, Catherine. What? It's Catherine? It was Catherine the whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> I totally, okay, I totally did not know that when no, I first I, watched the show. I didn't either, but it's just so ludicrous, you know? Yep. And we've talked about this, I think, a little bit in the spoiler section of the last couple episodes, but yeah, yeah. at this point, I fully love this stupid storyline. I don't like, <laughs> yeah. I don't like the just, like, lame Asian investment angle of it. weird, like, kind of slightly racist just like this whole like stupid outdated asian racism japanese accent thing kind of weird i hate that but i love that it's piper laurie in that ridiculous costume Uh, that's pretty funny for like you know 
weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole season, basically, right? Yeah, the whole season. And um, <laughs> also that the actor who played Pete was unaware of that being the case. Do you know how long he was unaware? Like, Apparently, it's, once it's that somewhere seems... in this episode. Yeah, he okay, must have read right. the script. But yeah. last week, oh, so... Last week was when uh, Tajamara was in the Great Northern and Pete was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, Pete was there. And I, for some reason, thought he was, he was offering her or him uh, a drink, but it was, a, it was a glass of cold milk that she. Oh, right. That, that Tajamara says no thank you. Yeah, to. But yeah, apparently yeah. that scene, Jack Nance had no idea that it yeah, was, right. that it was the actress Isn't who plays amazing? his wife on the show. Yeah, so good. Um, Did we talk about that last week on the spoiler section or not? What, his unawareness? Yeah. I don't remember. I just... So there, there's a, uh, yeah. So there's a bit in Piper Laurie's autobiography that says Jack Nance didn't know. Um, she says, when the cast got used to me being around, they looked a little more closely and could see I was working very, wearing very heavy makeup. Later, most of the actors said they knew something was up, but they never revealed that in front of me. Um, I heard that Peggy Lipton was convinced I was Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> Jack Nance and I had a number of important scenes together, but he didn't know it was me until weeks later when he read the reveal scene in his script. That's so good. So good. I love it. Man. Also, I really like that that uh, that Peggy Lipton was convinced it was a different, like, uh, David Lynch favorite actress. Right. Like, <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I. It's such a dumb, cheesy storyline on its face, but sort of the weird meta stuff around it is so good. And then also just when... She, when Catherine reveals to Pete that it's her. That scene's just really touching, even though it's, it's oh yeah cheesy, for sure. It's I mean, just he's like, so oh man, Pete's so happy. And like, yeah. yeah, and also it seems like it's nice that she also reveals herself to him by like, I mean, one like putting him on for a bit, but then also just like being like, you're the person I actually want to like let in on this, as opposed to just being weirdly aloof, right, to him forever, and like their scene together in the previous episode probably contributed to that also mm-hmm. just everything that in the, like their arc for at the very end of last season it like it, it ties back together really nice it just mm-hmm. i agree it just made me happy yeah no it's nice i've also just missed Catherine on the show so yeah, it's good no, to have totally. yeah. to have her back uh-huh. and man it was if, like relatively competent character who yeah. <laughs> sort of thinks things through man also it was great that you the, know this weird thing aside all of the insane stuff that happens at the end of this episode which we're about to get to like just intense crazy stuff and then the first title card is and piper laurie as tajimura <laughs> because they had like i'm sure she has like pre-title billing in her contract but they didn't want to reveal her in the actual opening right. of the episode so that it's like and maddie is killed and it's terrible piper laurie as tajimura well, also, that's on top of a freeze frame of cooper's face like <laughs> oh, yeah. looking up so it's just it's just basically a sitcom at that point where it's like boo doo boo 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 with piper laurie as Mr. Tajimura, like <laughs> on top of just the right. last scene freeze frame. It's like too what? many cooks. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. That cracked me up when that came back this time, which I'm sure was not the intention. Um, but I guess that's the kind of thing that's only funny as a weird postmodern like life of knowing what a sitcom is. Yes. In- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> That was a weirdly deflating mm-hmm. post-credit yeah. sequence after everything else that happened in this episode. Yeah. So if you want to go, speaking of, so that was the very last shot of the whole thing. Do you want to go all the way back to the very first shot of the episode where all of the prime investigation thread starts in here? Yeah. Because that that scene, that shot, I think, is worth discussing because it, it felt so unusual to Twin Peaks for me. It's a, it's basically Which? a line. The very first shot in the episode. 
of all of them is, lined up drinking coffee. Yeah, they're all lined up drinking coffee. It's unusual for Twin Peaks, except for when David Lynch shoots this whole crew together in the Tibetan rock throwing scene in episode three. Oh, it's like the right. exact you're same right, composition right, of right. all of them just lined up mm-hmm. with drinks and some except coffee. Gordon Cole instead Gordon of, Cole's instead there of instead Lucy. Of Lucy. Yeah, but it's it's that it, it reminded me of that shot yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Mike is there. And Mike is there. Yeah. But it, yeah, that no, that's a, that's a really similar. good point. I didn't think about that. Although this composition, I think, was even flatter than that one yeah. because that at least it was like weird. there's a chalkboard and Lucy's in front of that yeah, and yeah. people next to the tree. This was just a f- weirdly static shot, and it was held for a pretty long time. They didn't ever go in for close-ups or anything. Yep. And then in classic TV style, Mike is sure to tell you his exact same uh, mystery mm-hmm. about yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the hotel. My favorite part about this scene. Oh, Mike has coffee, which I liked also. <laughs> oh, that's funny. My my favorite part about this scene, because I, I don't think there's that much to say about it. Just kind of, as you say, catch up. But my favorite thing is when, I guess, Cooper starts saying what Gordon mentioned. And then halfway through, Gordon, like, what I mentioned were pages. And then he just goes, goes on. Right. Uh, but it was, it's essentially just way more kind of recap exposition mm-hmm. stuff. I just really liked that little gag. It's always it just really good when when Gordon steps on someone. Mm-hmm. David Lynch is really good at that delivery. Mm-hmm. And then, man, knowing that Gordon Cole is David Lynch and knowing that David Lynch does not direct another episode of this show, I don't think, until the last episode of it, seeing, oh, yeah. seeing him clink coffee mugs with Cooper and then walk out of the shot actually just made me really sad. So you want to know, you want to you address a weird statistic about where we are in Twin Peaks? The killer has been revealed and we are exactly halfway through yes. the run of Twin Peaks. Exactly. So that's an interesting, those are two interesting facts that you should compare to one another. Yes. That bode ill for many of our upcoming weeks, sadly. I'll talk about that at the end of the episode, but before we get to the spoiler section, I think. Okay. Because, um, yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay, so let's see what's next here. The mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a... So I think I wrote down some of these next scenes out of order. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Is the next thing, is it the Great Northern or is it, or is it Maddie drinking coffee at the Palmer's house? Uh, the next thing is the Great Northern. It's okay. Gordon, you know, clinks mugs with Cooper. They leave. Then we go to the Great Northern. Okay. And that's when Mike is reacting really strangely. And so this, I thought was a great usage of the Great Northern. The Great wack- Northern's wacky wackiness. Gag. Yeah. The, what do you think about that? The, the weird, like, like naval, naval officer or, or naval something? cadets with, like, with rubber bounce balls? Yeah. Just because it made such a crazy soundscape? Yeah, and because it was like layered on top. Because just not because of just the one thing unto itself, but because of the entire composition, including how it was edited. There's all yeah. these balls creating this crazy cacophony. There's like that beautiful there's slow Mike. motion shot that pans down the hallway with all of them. Like, mm-hmm. And then there's there's Mike kind of increasingly freaking out. Like, Probably not specifically because of that, but that's just sort of heightening the overall tension. Right. Um, and then there's the cross, these several, two or three cross cuts to Ben Horn, just the reverse tracking shot of Ben Horn madly stomping down the hall while chomping a cigarette in his yep. mouth. Just a, you have no context for what that even is. It's just like a crazy, even more intense, nerve wracking thing to layer on top of all this, all of this other completely frenetic stuff that's happening. Yep. Um, and so that, that and like Mike starts totally losing it when he and Ben yeah. Horn actually cross paths, which mm-hmm. I guess is a is a red herring, though, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, all throughout the episode, there's red herrings about uh, about Ben Horn. Yes, yeah. Actually, um, I mean, we can. Well, I'll just jump around, but I guess 
to keep the crew in the dark about what was going on, Maddie Ferguson's death was filmed, uh, both with Leland and with Ben Horn. Oh man, which is so crazy to me because that is an intense scene, death and that actress multiple. is well, going crazy. She's doing it three, three times. Three times because there's Bob, Bob Leland, Bob, and Ben. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she had to do that scene three times through. Mm-hmm. Once what a brutal with, scene. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk about it more later, I guess. But holy shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, also, I guess when when Dana was watching this for the first time, she was utterly convinced that the episode was going to be about how Ben Horn was the killer. Yeah, I think that was the point, right? Yeah, I I don't remember what I thought. I'm sure a lot of people did. I wasn't saying that to be like, uh, oh yeah, you know, or, I don't know. But you mean she was convinced about that before the episode started? No, or just during it, in but, the first third. But or I so, mean, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's totally reasonable. I mean, they're clearly setting you up to. to it's a really. I mean, I guess. What I was saying then is to me that means it's a really good setup because she is a person who watches 400 billion mystery shows. Right. But like, yeah, it's that that sort of crossfade from Ben to Leland over the course of the episode is really nicely done mm-hmm. and yep. really like, yep, I don't know. I agree. Uh, so I guess after that then is is Maddie at the Palmer's house. Is that correct? Or did I still mess that up? Um, or is it? Awesome? Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. It's I mean, in between. The Great Northern and the Palmer's house is when we see that Harold has killed himself. But then yeah, basically okay, the next yeah, thing yeah, in this arc about that already, is yeah. going to like spoken word Louis Armstrong that is clearly the intro to that. What a Wonderful yeah, World. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much. I It makes me kind of wait. And I, I, I know a lot of people will disagree with me about this and, and that's fine. Um, it, every time there's a usage of licensed music on this show, which I guess is mainly Lynch. surrounding – Lynch or surrounding Leland, you know, because there's mm, Pennsylvania yeah. 65,000, right? That and was then, in a Lynch episode, though. Yeah. Um, and then there's What a Wonderful World, which mm-hmm. are both playing on Leland's record player. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's cool that that's sort of a, a recurring thing. But man, it's always so – it's always used so effectively in a way that is just so different than how the score is used. So maybe it's, you know, maybe it's silly to say that I wish they used it more because maybe that would dilute its impact. But man, I always love it so much. And that was definitely true in this scene where, there, there, where you know, it starts off and, and Maddie's in the foreground getting the cup of coffee. And then she walks into the background with and sits on the couch, sits with on the couch. And then the camera just very, 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 very slowly pans across. And then it goes behind the record player the to record really player. weirdly obscure them and then yeah, reveal the record great. player. Yeah, it's so good. That's sort of the beginning to me of the – I mean – it's the beginning for everyone of the creeping ominousness yeah. of this episode because once that needle hits the record, that record player is just on until mm-hmm. until Maddie is killed at the end mm-hmm. of the episode. Yep. Yeah, it's true. We're just keeping this kind of stilted time basically yeah. as it skips. Yeah. Um, so a thing that, that I liked about this scene, how it was played, was that uh, when Maddie says she's leaving – Leland kind of briefly freaks out for a second. He sort of or not freaks out, but he sort of he, he like startles and he up, puts yeah. his newspaper down and yeah, he tenses up exactly. But then almost immediately he he starts saying, Oh, well, of course you should go home and you know, you've been it's so great to have you here and you should come back whenever you want, but you've got to live your own life and do this and this and this. Um, which, you know, when if you watch this episode not knowing that Leland is a, is going to murder her later, um, probably comes off as nothing. Uh, but knowing that Right, well, it comes off as just, he clearly emotionally doesn't want her to go, but has to right. say the but thing then, that you say. Well, but then he instantly, I think, probably just knows he's going to do something about that. Right. And then... Yeah, and no, then and so instead, this is just, I'll placate you. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
and, or maybe and, not. And I mean, Sarah, it could be a little well, bit of her both. and Sarah. Well, yeah. It can, I mean, it's also it can be Leland's conscious mind saying mm-hmm. the thing that is right to say, whether or not he's maliciously no, or yeah. against his uh-huh. own will has no, these true. feelings and, inside. And you know? that would that would also sort of jibe with the uh, with him being startled, which would that would be more of his sort of unconscious Bob side, right, and then it's like, which is like reacting. In right, well, of, of course, regardless of whatever way. I'm feeling right now that right. I'm not entirely yeah. sure what this means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course you should be allowed to leave mm-hmm. as yeah. like, there's just something pulling inside of him that is saying the exact opposite of that. Right. Which yeah. obviously wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, I don't know if you have anything else about this scene to say. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, you know, a thing that was baffling to me about this. Um, didn't, uh, I thought when Maddie came the first time, she said she took the bus. Didn't she? Like oh, man, when Maddie originally came, I thought she took the, maybe I'm wrong about Does this. Does she mention having a car in this scene? Yes. Yeah, she says, I'm going to drive home. Huh. Yeah. So I thought that was odd. Um, she's stealing Leland's car. <laughs> doesn't really matter. I, I could be misremembering also. That's just what I thought. Um, so then we go to Audrey talking to her dad in a, one of this episode's many extremely uncomfortable scenes. Uh, I mean, this whole episode is just nonstop. Almost, not quite nonstop because there's Nadine and there's, right. There's, you know, Leo. A lot of that stuff stuff's but, way at the beginning of the episode though. Yeah, like, it's it, true. It it's gets true. it like, okay, it really starts and now pretty, we're done. Whatever, yeah, pretty dark. Um, and 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 this scene, I think, was was pretty rough. Uh, although I do, I think it was I, all the things that were said between Audrey and Ben are things we already knew. So at least we're not being exposed to like newly even more disastrous right, stuff. But just the and two of two, them. Oh, go ahead. You had. To- I was just going to say, and like I think it is leavened slightly. Well, it is both made more uncomfortable and also slightly leavened by Ben not denying anything or pulling any like right. bullshit about it. Not that that makes it any less terrible, but we kind of already knew how terrible it was. Right. And then so, the scene is elevated to near comedy by that by the prominence of that carved Ben sign that's in the front of his <laughs> desk over so much at the beginning of that scene. Man, you can't not look at that stupid yeah. sign. <laughs> Oh, and then you know what? Further in the uh, the red herring zone, for sure. In this, when Laura asks, Laura, did you, did, I'm sorry, when um, <laughs> when Laura comes in, yeah, no, when uh, when Audrey asks, "Did you kill Laura?" Um, ben one takes a really long time to respond, and then just says, "I loved her," which is not really at all a denial because a lot of times women who get killed get killed by people who ostensibly love them. Um, so that that was. That to me came off as like very a little a little manipulative on the part of Lynch because I'm not really sure what I feel like in his position like he was answering all her questions pretty straightforwardly he probably could have just said no yeah but it's, obviously it serves the purpose of the show for to have the audience pile doubt on him yeah and it's or it's suspicion it's weird too because this episode was also a reminder. That Ben has a picture of Laura on his desk. Yeah, isn't that weird? But I don't remember. Ben, we see- talked about that way earlier. I oh, think. that's true. You know, I guess that. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. It's so like in that regard, it's just like, yeah, his answer kind of is understandable, except that that has not been mentioned other than a piece of set decor for the mm-hmm. duration of the mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. But when he said that, all that I could think about is he's had the picture on his desk the whole time. <laughs> what is happening? I know. Yeah. Oh, I guess nothing because. <laughs> they, get, they get a warrant to arrest him or whatever later. But he didn't do it. Yeah. 
Um, so we, uh, that I, the next thing I think that happens on this thread is Cooper, um, dictating from Laura's diary with frequent mentions of Bob, who she calls a friend of her father. Um, obviously very auspiciously. And, but then also, uh, she, like he reads from the diary, like sometime I'm going to tell them all about Ben Horn, who he really is or whatever she says. Right. And then Audrey tells Cooper about this stuff that she confirmed with her father. And so that's even more Yep. like, Oh, obviously it's Ben Horn. Obviously. I mean, they're really built. The show is really building a case against this guy right up until the last minute. Oh yeah. Cause Audrey comes in and the thing that she says is Ben Horn was like my dad was sleeping mm-hmm. with Laura Palmer, right. uh-huh. which was like the height of the weird potent loaded conversation that they were having earlier. Yeah. And Cooper clearly at that point is, I think pretty convinced Ben did it. Yeah. And then, and then Ben tries to sign the Ghostwood deal with Tajimura as he's arrested. Right. Yep. Which is like this goddamn Ghostwood estate. That thing just can't can't get signed. Oh, it is I like the, attempting to sign a Ghostwood contract basically guarantees that a disastrous thing will happen. It will guarantee that oh, someone last will, time they, will burst through a door right, and say it, something incredibly incriminating. They were signing it last time at One Eyed Jacks, right? Yeah. What happened on that? I don't know. Maybe they just signed it. I can't remember. I, I feel like Ghostwood was signed then. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I'm not. I can't really remember honestly what what the deal, what the legal status of Ghostwood is, or maybe he's. But that was happening, I think, at the same time as Cooper was there gambling. Maybe not. There was just there. Were, I don't yeah. know. Man, I've already forgotten. Bad. It's always connected with with shenanigans, with sh- the total shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tajimura is just left alone in the room. Being yeah. Like, <laughs> well, right. anyway, which uh, man? Once that's revealed to be Catherine, you, that's the best. Like, if you're her, <laughs> I'm just like, well, that went way better than I would have thought. Would have <laughs> what? Like, that's true. Well, Catherine doesn't know anything about about how good things have got for her in this episode because that's, no, that's true. She, good point. She passed Ben a bogus check, which he then gave to Josie, who left the country to go to some crime yeah. syndicate where that's going to bounce. <laughs> yep. And then Ben Horn is just dragged away and cuffed the, for the murder of Laura Palmer, and she's just left alone in the office of the Great Northern. It's just like, <laughs> well, man, everything's coming up Tajimura apparently. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that at the time. But like, I don't remember what happens next week, but if you're just like previously on Catherine's life. Oh, <laughs> what? Yep. <clears throat> so there's a, okay. So I feel like next up in this thread is next the, lo- up is, the log lady at the station. It's not. It's not? Oh, what's no. Next? Cause the next thing, um, this is like, I think when we, like we really start getting into the sort of pile on of yeah, things going left sure. and right, because this is like. Ben Horn, I'm arresting you for the murder of Laura Palmer. Tajimura's right. left alone in the room. It mm-hmm. cuts, uh, Lynch cuts to some blowing trees and then cuts to the record player. Uh, oh, is that when and then you Sarah see, Palmer, and then you see Sarah's like, hand like come down the stairs. So down that's where it's stair- like, yeah, that is a crazy scene. I love those two scenes back to back though. Cause it's like the most, I'm arresting no, you totally main right character for that. the murder of Laura Palmer. And then it's just, meanwhile, obviously something is completely wrong because mm-hmm. that record player is playing. And then you just see a creepy hand, which at first I thought was Bob. Because mm. she has that weird sort of like deliberate finger acting, but right. then it just turns out that it's Sarah Palmer, like almost unconscious, like in a delirious state, yeah. drifting down the stairs. I'm, I am, ceiling fan is back. The ceiling fan is back. Oh, good old ceiling oh, fan. I love that the ceiling yep. fan is back. It's my favorite thing. <clears throat> yeah, she's good come, call. she comes down, down the stairs on her belly and just says Leland kind of out of breath. And you, it's, I think, ambiguous as to whether or not she's like, trying to say her husband's name because she's 
have under duress or because she knows what's going on, but it seems right. like she's having one of her weird well, visions. Man, I can't, I guess I can't talk about this now. I was going to bring up fire walk with me cause it's so relevant to Let's this. Let's talk about it after the yeah, spoiler, spoiler section. Spoiler section. Um, it, this is when she sees the vision of the white horse, right? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think that's the next time we cut back uh, to her. Okay. That, that's this, why I took the, I had these out of order cause I combined them into one. Note. Oh yeah. Cause, yeah. because we're, we, this is when the episode really starts aggressively cross cutting back and forth in a way that I think is really so, important. So that's then when it, next has been in the holding cell and the log lady comes in. Right. Okay. Um, so that's okay. So at this point when the log lady says, uh, we don't know what will happen or, uh, but there are when, but there are owls, the owls in the roadhouse. So, she, um, not that I know what the alternative to this would have been for Cooper, but when we were watching this last night, um, Sarah made the point that the log lady totally just like screws things up for Cooper basically, because she just ensures that he will be away from, like, he'll be out of the center of town. Yeah, he'll be out of the center of town when, like, the next murder happens because he gets to the roadhouse and the giant says it is it's, happening again. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he's there and then he knows things happen, but everyone would have known that, right, sooner or later, probably sooner. But then, where else would he have gone? Because I don't his know. only other yeah, clue was the, the Great other... Northern, and being at the Great Northern would, yeah, I mean, it's true. I don't know what the alternative is. I just, uh, yeah, you know. it, it's tough because I think people on the forums are saying that as well. But from Cooper's perspective. He, Mike went off his drugs. Mike is the one who points to Bob. Mm -hmm. He said there's something at the Great Northern. Ben Horn is there. You hear that he's he was sleeping with Laura Palmer, that he was being really cagey about killing her. He's arrested. And yeah. they're like, we got it. Like, yeah. locked. So then... That's true. I mean, the only other thing the log lady could have said is, there's weird shit going down at the Palmer's house. But there's yeah, no way, you know, true, like... Because... Yeah. Cooper is, it's like case closed as far as he's concerned until he's told heightened weird things are going on that are actually bigger than what mm. you think they are. So yeah. like, I don't know. He no, wouldn't have been fair. really out following leads or looking for Maddie or anything. He would have probably just been interrogating Ben Horn. Yep. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe no, I'm wrong. No, no. I think you're totally right about that. Um, Someone's going to tell me why I'm wrong in the forum. And it'll be <laughs> awesome. It might be Sarah. So I, I don't think she had a theory. She was just pointing out that that does. It yeah, no, guarantee it, it that, sucks though. Cause just yeah. when you're watching it, you're like. No, we just like mm -hmm. when you hear the ticking record at the Palmer house and you see, I mean, mm -hmm. even then though, if you don't know the whole structure of the episode, it just feels like yeah, because Sarah's Sarah having an episode, which means Bob yeah. is nearby. So then mm -hmm. when the log lady says there's owls in the roadhouse, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I saw that bad Photoshop of Bob's face with an owl earlier. So that probably means <laughs> that Bob's at the roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, so that, so then at that, after that is when Sarah sees the white horse, correct? Uh, or am I still wrong about this? Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it there's some Pete stuff. Oh, uh, Pete and Catherine are reunited, but then, yeah. yeah. Okay, well. And then it's back to the same thing of waving trees, shot to the record player. Then Sarah's crawling on the ground. Um, and then I wrote down fucking creepy David Lynch shot of room. Like yeah, I, yep. the weird one point perspective shot of the, I know, of the inside yeah, of the Palmer yep. house. And then, yeah, she sees the white horse in the spotlight, which she, looks, some, she looks kind of relieved by the presence of that horse. And I don't know why or what yeah. that means. Do you, do you have any idea what the horse itself means? I don't. I don't really. Yeah. I don't. Um, I mean, it's a great shot. There's also something about the way this show is filmed that makes it look, and this is something that I, I, I think I've mentioned this before actually on this podcast, this exact point, but like really reminds me of something like blue velvet, which looks like it's shot in like sixties era technicolor. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Fire where, walk with me is even more pumped up. Version yeah. Of that. Where it's like has this saturated reds and blues mm -hmm. and like, the and light colors kind of become take on a bluish 
Hugh, you know, like that, and the scene with the horse is one. Is well, Lynch really accentuates that, that too when he has the really high, the like high brightness and blue, but sort of faded spotlight that shows up on it. Like mm-hmm. when the whole room then yes. takes on that glow. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And all, all and I, of- I feel like that's that's way more noticeable in that horse shot than it would be elsewhere because there not only is there a lot of white, which happens with like white wallpaper, but more specifically, there's white with a lot of shadow because it's all the crevices of the horse's mm-hmm. like muscle tone. So it creates this like perfect environment for that weird like color yeah. balance that that Yeah, it looks like something just out of another era like yeah, it really fades does. up into Twin Peaks suddenly. Yeah, it absolutely does. It's really interesting. Um yeah, and I don't it doesn't look like how television <laughs> usually looks. No, and I, I have no clue what that thing means. But she like it, it seems like it puts her into a weird sort of calm state, but then she passes out, and the camera pans over to Leland adjusting his tie in the mirror, and then we leave the scene. Yeah, which, which is, is ominous as all that's hell. That's intense because she was just yelling for him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then it's like, did he do something to her? Or what's going on? Ah, mm-hmm. oh, man. Yep, it's intense. Um, so then we're back at the roadhouse, right? Yeah, and there's Julie, another Julie Cruz. Song. It's her first time back since sometime in season one. Yeah, at since least. ages ago for sure. Um. And so the only thing I really have to so, so Truman, Truman Cooper and the log lady arrive. Um, but the only thing I really have to say about this scene, Oh, and Don and James are talking about Harold, which like, whatever. But, um, the only <laughs> thing I have to say about this scene, and this is just a goofy observation. What is going on with the like absolutely insane, crazy blast of horns that just comes in for like four seconds and then stops. It's it so part. intense that it's – no, but it doesn't sound like a horn part. It sounds like <laughs> just a different track just starts and then leaves. And like for the first one or two seconds of those horns coming in, I thought it was actually just being – I thought another track was interrupting it in a Lynchian way to just suddenly right. like sort of be a premonition of a cut that was about to happen. But no, it's just a weird horn arrangement for this track and then it just stops. I really like – crazy sounding. I liked the song in general. I mean, and it is probably just – I like the has, song in general. It has – this song has the like the same bass instrument as the Twin Peaks theme and it has a really similar rhythm, although mm-hmm. the notation is different. But it ends up making it sound like the music is kind of just a reciprocation of the Twin Peaks theme to me. Like it's not actually that theme, but it like – Yeah, sure. I'll buy that. It, and I really like I really like the song. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, really the way good. it's integrated. I just I'm just really confused by that those horn blares because they're they're comical. It is weird. Yep. Really strange. The scene also man. What? This is when this episode just like the the previous shot with Sarah and the horse to the end of this episode is kind of just an unstoppable chunk of oh, Twin yeah. Peaks. Yeah, yeah. Because like sure. it going it going from her passing out, seeing the horse, Leland adjusting his tie. I mean, then there's the the Donna stuff about Harold, but then mm-hmm. we see like those, uh, the like Navy cadets or whatever are all in there just also watching the show mm-hmm. at the roadhouse yeah. and Truman and the log later just like pounding down bar peanuts while just enjoying <laughs> the song together. Yeah. Cause it was like, yeah, something is going to happen here. I don't know. Might as well just enjoy the music mm-hmm. in the meantime and just chow down on, on peanuts. Um, well, and then the, that's when the giant fades. But yeah, then the giant yeah. fades in and mm-hmm. then things start getting real. Yeah. The the close up on the giant's face saying it is happening again is a really great shot. I mean, similar to the honestly, similar to the horse, I think part of well, it's got that sort of teal blue and intense red colors. Yeah, going exactly. On well, that's yeah. what reminds me of the horse shot. You get that super yeah. saturated look, but also well, they're both I, shot with that same spotlight too, which is what yes. uh, and specific- Lynch always uses that spotlight to be sort of the intrusion of the other plane into yeah, reality. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, and I think that the the guy who plays the giant was probably cast 
for a, maybe a similar reason that that Lynch used a horse in that scene, which is that the guy's face is just really sculpted. It has these like deep sunken like cheekbones it's and eye sockets. Interesting to look at. No, I know, but it creates yeah. those shadows that creates the same exact effect yep. that the like muscles and skin of the horse do. And it, I don't know if that was intentional on Lynch's part, but like it definitely works with that spotlight and the overall color treatment to create like a really stark, yeah. startling. Image. He says it is happening again. It is happening again, and then. Because David Lynch, for some reason, uses film editing in a different way than everyone else in the entire world does, it does an incredibly slow cross-dissolve to the Palmer's mm-hmm. house. Everyone in the world other than David Lynch would have just cut <laughs> yeah. as aggressively as mm-hmm. possible or used some cinematic flourish. But he wants those moments, I guess, to feel like they're sort of bleeding into each other. Yeah, so why totally. not just dissolve them? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of things that I feel like only David Lynch would do, at least only David Lynch would do when given any kind of budget, and yet he would still do, is like just flash composite back and forth between Leland's I, mean, I guess I'm I'm kind of skipping over no I guess I'm not really skipping no, over No the next thing it crosses is, off to Leland in the mirror mm-hmm. and then Bob so shows there's up There's an amazing shot that's that's really deft which is when Bob is actually played by the actor reacting in real time I assume to Leland's or like synchronizing Leland's, Leland's reflection yes. Yeah and when Leland like turned that's it's an amazingly composed shot because Leland is looking into the mirror and we see Bob's face looking back and then Leland cranes his head all the way back around to look directly into the camera. And so it creates a crazy composition where his head is filling basically the entire and right And then Bob is out of, of focus in the, the reflection sort of with his head Looking turned. the other way. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So that is like an incredible piece of just craftsmanship to create that effect. And then, the, <laughs> then also what happens though is just like Bob's face just basically cut and pasted on top of Leland's face, just turning the Photoshop layer on and off a yep. few times. It just flashes back and forth, which is, you know, we've talked, we talked about this several episodes ago with the owls on Bob's face. We're just, David Lynch does not care about how no. smoothly integrated this stuff is. Like he's not going to try and sandpaper those edges. He just wants to communicate. I know, like, but it, oh, these are the two faces of this guy. That, man, the shot, the, the Leland and Bob acting off each other in the mirror it's so good, though. Oh, it's great. It's so, so, so And good. then anything that you thought oh. might be ambiguous is confirmed by Leland just putting white rubber gloves on immediately after Oh, I that. know. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? It's, yeah. Uh, American Psycho, basically. Yeah. But, you know, seven years earlier or whatever. But uh, sorry, the thing I forgot to mention, when this, when this first cuts to – or not cuts, but first crossfades into this scene, I think a thing that's really interesting about it is even though we're learning kind of – I don't know, maybe one of the most shocking, one of, or if not the most shocking thing that we've learned across the whole series, right? The thing we've been waiting for, Mm -hmm. for 15 episodes. It's, it's actually the most restrained shot of Bob we've ever seen. Where he's just sort of, he's just looking back. It's probably because he has to be matching. No, I know, but I'm just saying, it's just interesting that like, on the moment of like the most shocking reveal that everyone's on the edge of their seat, like Bob is finally shot in a way that's not basically like a jump scare or... Or just like crazy, weird, like, weird perspective yeah, arms and face. Yeah, like it, yeah. It's, well, you it's, kind of catch. It's also because I mean, you're seeing Bob at sort of the nexus point between Bob and Leland right mm-hmm, at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's yeah, cool. it's cool, and I, I just really liked that. Um, and then there, and then Maddie smells burning, comes downstairs, and then it's just a brutal like several minutes of brutality. Man, yeah, okay. So because yeah, Maddie says she smells burning, which is a callback to all to like when Leland killed Jacques Renault. Mm-hmm. And burnt engine oils come up a couple other mm-hmm. times. Fire walk with me. I have always assumed that that's like yeah. that poem that's always but man, that. But man, when Maddie smells something burning, sees Leland f- being 
freaky and she runs away the way that he like gleefully sort of like prances after her out into the other room was this actually one of the creepiest parts of this entire oh, yeah. scene to me yeah i agree man where it's just mm-hmm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. he's so oh, man it's so crazy and then you hear off camera scuffling they come back into frame and he just hits her so hard well there's a bunch of stuff before that i mean he does a like he well, he's like, cre- he's creepily sort of gleefully chasing yeah. after. No, he but hits he just, her and then he it just punches the shit out of her with his bare hands. Yeah, or yeah. his gloved hands. But it's like it's a brutal. What you don't see that in on television. I mean, there's a lot of murders on television because it's so many crime shows and stuff. But like, yeah. someone killing someone by basically just beating them with fists is not a thing that's represented no. on screen that often, as compared to guns and knives and strangling and you know stuff like that. It's. I mean, yeah. And then we end up... And then he hugs her. He gets cr- that scene is so intense because it's constantly flipping back and forth between uh, the, like, Bob the, and Leland. The strobed as we Bob said. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then also he go he sort of... But like when he's like grabbing her and strangling her and choking her, it's also very evocative of when he was dancing with Laura Palmer's photo in the same room. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's, ex- yeah. it's exactly that because he literally is like spinning her around and saying, my baby, my baby. Like yep. he's literally doing the exact well, same thing. Well, also choking the life out of her. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's brutal. The way that this, the way uh. it's amazing, is how unvarnished and gross it is. It's complete. Oh, and he 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 caps it off by smashing her into a painting. of Well, Missoula. saying Leela, doesn't he say Leland says you're going back to Missoula? Well, then he smashes her into a painting of Missoula. Right, but I, I, it was interesting that Leland screams and says Leland, which also I guess means that he's fully Bob. Yeah, Bob at that point. Yeah. And then in the creepy final thing that is just like the confirmation of everything and is gross. He puts the, yeah, puts the, the letter, letter underneath her fingernail. Her fingernail. Mm-hmm. The the way that this scene mixes the sort of surreal, magical, weird stuff of Twin Peaks with just an absolutely not surreal or magical murder is so good and so disturbing. Where like Leland, I mean, it's not absolutely not surreal or magical. Well, it keeps cutting to Bob being yeah. there, but the way that Maddie is killed is not. Oh, like, that's true. Yeah, she not, hasn't doesn't have the life sucked out of her. Like right. it's Harry yeah, Potter yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just like she is beaten and strangled yes, to death on yes. screen in uh-huh. a way that is just completely, yes, yes, completely yes. terrifying to watch. Like for sure. And then the, I mean, and then the last thing is the little note being stuck under her fingernail is just also, but it's just like you can't deal with it, but not because of any high concept thing other than it keeps flashing to right. to Bob in a way that mm-hmm. is unsettling yeah, in no, and of no, itself. It's, it's just a brutal murder yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah, oh. it's, which made me wonder how that, how that would sit relative to the overall landscape of network television at the time, because I can't imagine there were that many shows on network channels in 1990, was this 1990 or 91 by this point? Not that it matters, but in, in effectively in 1990 that feature such a long scene of sustained brutality in such a raw way. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like even now on a network show, you don't see that often. I mean, there's like CSI and stuff like that, but that doesn't, it's not. Even though when you're watching something like Dexter, like some network show that's just about well, someone who kills that's people. That's a cable show. Or, I mean, sorry, a ca- sorry, it is a cable show that is specifically about someone who kills someone. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely this unvarnished. Oh, and yeah. This Dexter extended. does it in a very like stylish, yeah. kind of like sterile way. I mean, partially because that's his thing, but like, but also, yeah, you just, it's, it's rare to. Or okay, so a lot of shows on cable show the aftermath of a brutal murder. Yes, but it, it's really but rare. But you don't for see just, like, this. Like several minutes. If you're of watching a procedural where there is a brutal brutality. murder, there'll be like the stylized black and white echoey shot of someone kind of punching someone, right. and you hear like the scream reverb out. But they'll yeah. never just like show a room get trashed as two people scuffle to death. Basically, mm-hmm. it's like 
it's it's a choice that you almost only ever hold for a film where you can right. feel comfortable yes. showing that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So that but, was really interesting to it, me. And I'd be I'd be curious to hear anyone's thoughts on on how right or wrong we are about those <laughs> those claims. Um so anyway, after that we're back at the roadhouse and there's kind of an interesting re- scene of reactions where well, it the starts with the appears, giant. Like the, the giant disappears, yeah. but the look that he gives Cooper was actually really heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Right? It was just sort of like, there's nothing that we could have done about this. I'm I'm sorry. Like right. he actually looks like he feels remorse. For sure. Well, and then after that, the room service, the weird old room service guy comes over and basically offers his condolences to Cooper as though he knows what's happened and he's like It feels like there's a connection between that guy and the giant too, because that's the second time know, that they've I, shared moments. For, for sure, it's gotta be, right? And they're both old. I don't know. And they're both old, sort of like <laughs> tall sticks Spin, of spindly, people. Yeah. Yes. And then the thing that is my favorite part about this, and it's kind of a goof, and I don't know if it's how you're supposed to interpret it. It looks to me that the giant, the room service guy, Cooper, Donna, and Bobby all know that something terrible has happened, and James does not. James is like the one guy of all the faces you cut to, and he just kind of looks blank. He doesn't look like anything. Even Bobby looks distraught, and James just kind of sits there because he's James. I found out on the forums that the actor who plays Bobby was just on the set that day, so Lynch asked him to be in the scene. Oh, man. Because his reaction is actually, like, one of the appropriate the times for his face. Like, he's totally... It's, it's like, the it's one of the best Bobby things ever. Because yeah. it's like, well, like, I think that they wanted James to have a reaction, but the actor just didn't have one. I think that that's, that <laughs> yeah. face was... was, was yeah. But, yeah, I know. It looks like everyone is just totally in this, in, in this intensely emotional state that is kind of inexplicable and then yeah james is just like <laughs> well and again like i don't know if i'm supposed to read it this way or not but he's he sort of starts to console donna but it looks like he's just reacting to her being upset okay, and having that's, no that's fair no but i mean like it doesn't look like he's he right. he's just like oh she's upset i should do something about it but he's the only one who doesn't understand what's going on this is really how it comes off to me and i don't know maybe that's not the intention but that's really how it feels when i watch that yeah scene. no this this is also probably not uh, a fully valid read on this scene, but one thing that I was thinking about when I was watching the scene was this scene is the epitome of Twin Peaks telling the audience how and what to feel by way of just showing the other characters inexplicably oh, sure. feeling uh-huh. it. Yeah, like we talked about this way back in like not t- that you need to because I mean this is just one of the most like, no, but like if you want like obviously brutal things to happen, it's this the weird sort of backwards externalization of like the emotional state of. It's okay. Like usually when you see facial reactions, like the ones that you see in that scene, it's because characters are reacting to the emotional content of the scene that they're in. Right. Whereas in this case, the emotion, the reactions on their faces are creating the emotional content of the scene. No, like it's true. totally not no, how right. that stuff usually works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that scene, I guess in a more typical episode of Twin Peaks, you would just end after the murder. You wouldn't cut to anything. Right. In a more typical episode of Twin Peaks, the, mo- the climactic thing would happen and the episode would just end. Yeah, but I, But at this point, it is the most climactic thing that has happened in the entire series, so you don't need it to be a cliffhanger. Right, but I well, I, I just, I mean, I think this is just a thing that Lynch does with, with human reactions and with faces is just yeah. like, I, it, it was it was such an affecting scene while also just being like, from an, like intellectual standpoint, utter nonsense. And from a, just like, yeah, from a pacing choice and stuff, completely weird, but like, it's such an effective way of, no, I agree. I'm not of, saying I don't like the scene. I folding like, everything I like in on scene. itself. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm not yeah. trying to argue you're liking or disliking the scene. Sure. But like, just from a weird sort of emotional relationship to audience construction standpoint, showing all of those characters be affected by Maddie's death as if like, 
someone just walked over Laura's grave as if like they had like without that making any sense like it does such a crazily good job yeah of extending the feeling of uh like just of of letting there be this this emotional resonance out of the murder of Maddie instead of it just being a shock even though it doesn't make any sense but at the same time if you want to get into it from a sort of like meta lore standpoint or whatever, all these people were just blasted by that, by the giant. So obviously right. <laughs> they yeah. have some connection. Sure. Yeah, going yeah, on, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think this show has, I think there's, I can't think of like very specific examples right now, but I feel like there is precedence precedent in this show for characters intuiting that a bad thing has occurred. Yeah. That's, I mean, yes, that is so, what it's about. Yeah. But this scene just went all in on that and it was, Oh man. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's right. The room service waiter pets Cooper on the shoulder and says, I'm so sorry. You said that, I think. But man, like that he just I like that the room service waiter is one of the guys that's that's hit by this. Although it it I don't remember if this ever comes back. But after seeing the way that Leland and Bob work, it mm-hmm. implies to me that maybe that room service waiter actually has some similar relationship with the giant because his parting words. Or, like, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Oh, right, that's the end. Yeah, that's the end of the episode. I mean, that that incredibly, I mean, like I was saying earlier, that incredibly emotional montage or, you know, cross-cutting. Man, is, it is it then, ends on a big old red curtain, though. You have to. If, like, it ends on basically just... Yeah, but then but then it just switches to the goofy freeze frame. Yeah, but the, the, last, the last shot of this episode being the closed red curtain that is entirely evocative of... The, the space room. of the Red Room from yeah. Cooper's Dream mm-hmm. is also really good, where yeah. it's just sort of, these things have all just sort of blended across themselves inside of the Roadhouse this episode. No, it's true. But yeah, and yep. then... No, the whole way this episode collapses is great. <laughs> my, my notes. Log Lady, Baba, Bobby, Donna looking sad. Even the singer is sad. Red Curtains, the end, starring Piper Laurie. <laughs> and the credits image like is Cooper. You, Those like- are the last notes. I, I, I registered James as being sad. Oh, you did in my in my oh, okay. brain, but maybe not. Did you? I, okay, I didn't hear you read it in your notes. Oh, that yeah, I had him in there. I think oh, okay. maybe I didn't. Oh, yeah, I had James in there. Oh, <laughs> if okay. I hadn't had James in there, that it yeah, would have been. I would have been so. I thought I was would have been so pleased. A complete complete validation of your yeah. of your theories. Um. So um, I I think I'm going to hold off on reader mail for now because we we have reader mail that um most of our reader mail this week is kind of general stuff that I feel like could follow almost any episode, and so. Maybe we'll just kind of sprinkle that stuff throughout upcoming okay. episodes that have a little less to talk about than this one. Man, um, I, I, I assume you have some spoiler stuff. Uh, I do. I also just at the beginning of this episode, other than that opening shot in the sheriff's department, I could not remember why I had memories of this episode being so potent other than that one tiny scene of Maddie being killed. Mm-hmm. But this episode was such a like <sighs> I'm trying to phrase what I'm going to say. So maybe I won't. I guess a lot of the David Lynch episodes have been all about these single encapsulated scenes that are mm-hmm. all interesting in and of themselves and paint a picture. But this episode was such a huge build over the course of it. Oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just – it was really good. Oh, the thing that I was going to say that is not a spoiler is after we watched this episode, um, Dana had never seen Firewalk With Me. So we just said, screw it. Let's just throw that on. So mm-hmm. we put the Blu-ray of Firewalk With Me on and watched the entire thing and – um, there have been people that I've recommended if you're watching Twin Peaks and you start sort of falling off after this episode, just jump to Firewalk with me. But after doing this podcast and talking about this now and then watching Firewalk with me, 
all of the stuff in Firewalk with me that is incongruous with what I know as of this point in the show actually just makes me really want to like it makes I've gotten myself excited about the next 15 episodes of Twin Peaks just because all right, of all of the little like because mm-hmm. it's been like Firewalk with me I think I'm only saying this stuff because there are probably people who are going to potentially just stop watching the show very sure. soon after this episode but Firewalk with me is temporarily a prequel to, you know um, but it's not really though but it's not like yeah it, it has a it lot really of events d- to take place before demands, but, but it's yeah it's because of the way that the sort of weird world of the red room works and all of the sort mm-hmm. of supernatural stuff in twin peaks time kind of folds in on itself inside of firewall and with i me. think even the palmer family stuff i think yeah really makes a lot it's just it's not you would never meaningful as a prequel yeah I mean, it technically is one, I, but it, but yeah, it's really... Sure, I mean, I you, could go, you could go and watch it now, but there's probably, honestly, a third of that film that will be less less enjoyable unless you at least yeah. get a ways into it now and watch the end of the show. Right. But, like, yep. it actually just got me hyped up to, to, to see all the stuff, well, that, that's good. Yeah. To see all stuff <laughs> that fills in all those gaps because... I'll make the next couple months easier. Yeah, because yeah. there's some stuff that be coming mm-hmm. up that I'm not super into, but anyway. I know, me too. Um, that is a great movie, though. I'm so... I always kind of assumed it was just kind of unremarkable or bad the more i think about it the more i think it's a it's a really great part of the twin peaks yeah i don't want to get into i don't right now because i'm about to start talking about which i should not no 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 okay well on that we're going to move on to spoilers as always if you have not seen that film firewalk with me or uh the remainder of the twin peaks television series please do not continue listening um but thank you for listening so far um oh wait I have one oh. more thing that I wanted to say about this sure. week. I'm yeah, sorry. Go for it. No, 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 go that for is it. not spoiler related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it totally shocked me. Okay. Um, because I had forgotten the structure of the show again. It's amazing to me that this episode ends with we have confirmed that Leland is Bob in some capacity mm-hmm. and that Leland killed Laura Palmer, that Leland mm-hmm. kills Maddie, mm-hmm. that it's connected to all this supernatural stuff. Then the episode ends. I forgot that the aftermath of that is not in this episode and that it wasn't a two-parter, that it wasn't a 90-minute episode. Like oh, that's the end true. Of season yeah. one, it's just like, Maddie is dead. Everyone's sad. Mm-hmm. Come back next week to see what any of this actually means about <laughs> anything to <laughs> anyone. True. Like, yeah, yeah, holy yeah. hell. No, it's, it's true. It's what true. a weird – like, that's a weird structural choice. And it's mm-hmm. because they had so much of the slow burn in the beginning of the episode where it almost felt like it could be any old average Twin Peaks episode. Right. Yep. It's true. That was one more thing that I want to talk about. I'm sorry. Is I know that the network was plugging the hell out of this episode at the time as the killer is revealed. Yeah. But from a, from a just – construction standpoint this episode feels like lynch and frost did not want that to be known oh, ahead sure. of time i think because if you're just totally burning right through that. the show you would not think it would take you a while into this the first episode 20 minutes it, it, before it's, you start, until it yeah. starts until you see sarah's hand mm-hmm. go down the stairs and the record player is stuck and no one's been in that, that house though. i mean i don't know but i mean at least at that point you're like oh this is going to be a real episode right okay, you're like you're something yeah, yeah, legit yeah, yeah. is going to go down yeah, 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 because that's true sarah palmer's back she's having weird visions there's just creepy noise like something is happening but like yeah, going into this knowing that it's the episode, the, the, the episode, that's actually also when people haven't seen the show before, there's a tendency among some fans, I think, to say, you only need to watch until episode X of season two, because that's when the killer is revealed. You told that to me when I first watched this show. Uh, did I tell you the exact ago. episode number? You said after the killer is revealed, you don't need to keep watching. Or okay, I, I would... I, I, would, I mean, this was like 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, at this so point, what I, mean, I tell whatever. people is, I don't personally feel like you need to keep watching if you feel no desire to continue to watch, but jump to the end mm-hmm. but what i've seen people say recently when the when netflix and the blu-rays have come out is oh you only need to watch through episode eight of season two or something it's like oh my god don't tell people exactly yeah. the number that it happens yeah, no it's true it's like true. yeah anyway 
whatever. We can we can move on. I know, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. For sure. I'm sorry, um, Chris. No, that's okay. So yes. Um. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We're going to move on to spoilers after this. So as I said earlier, um, don't keep listening to those if you have not seen the rest of the series as well as the film. Um, but thank you for listening. Please tell a friend if you liked it. Please consider rating us on iTunes if you liked it. Those things are both very helpful to us. This podcast only spreads by way of word of mouth. Um, we're on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, you can send us email at Twin Peaks at IdleThumbs.net. Uh, we're on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. And our website with all this information and more and all of our episodes is at TwinPeaksRewatch.com. So now it's time for spoilers. <laughs> so you had something, I assume? Only so, a little bit. Only, okay, a, only a tiny little bit of stuff. And it's just about Leland and Bob and people's reactions when watching this and yeah. watching Firewalk with me immediately after. Because I read the Twin Peaks rewatch forum thread for this week's episode, the pre-discussion stuff. Yeah. And people have so many questions about, like, Laura said that Bob is a friend of her father's. How could she not have known all of this time that Bob and Leland are the same person? And... In that regard, watching Firewalk with me immediately after watching this episode mm-hmm. was a really good experience. Like all all the I'm other sure, stuff yeah. going on in that movie, feels yeah, 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 really strange to watch right now. Yeah, because well, there's all the Cooper stuff, you know, all the stuff with, with Chris the, Isaac not being yeah, oh that too. Wyndham Earl's not in it at all. It's uh, no, it's, but I thought aren't there illusions or maybe I'm confusing two things. Maybe. I don't think that's, I don't yeah. think so. It's it's never more, mind. I'm confusing Wyndham Earl and the Bowie character, which are not. Oh related. yeah, no, it's yeah. it's um, yeah, it's all the stuff with Chris Isaac investigating Teresa yeah, yeah, Banks, yeah. which plot yeah, wise yeah. is awesome, but he's such a bad actor in the movie that it's really hard to deal with. <laughs> but um, I guess. I don't know. I, I feel like there's multiple camps when it comes to this stuff. Um, as far as like, should Firewalk with Me even exist? Like, I know Sarah really. She posted in the forum saying she wishes that Firewalk with Me didn't exist because. Seeing, oh, really? I didn't know she felt be, that way. Because seeing the way that Maddie is killed in this, and having your when mind. When did she post that recently? Yeah, in the last couple, last couple of episode threads, I think. Oh, okay, interesting. But I think it was her. But um, seeing. Seeing that on screen, but then having Laura's murder extrapolated from that only in your mind's eye and never explicitly existing is incredibly uh-huh. powerful. Yeah. But at the same time, seeing this stuff and having all the que- and seeing all the questions that people have on the forums and then the way that Lynch specifically and not specifically chose to answer the Bob and Leland relationship and Leland's relationship with his family and with his kids in that movie, I feel like most of it is done in a way that actually really successfully enriches all the stuff that has come before this oh, episode. I, I of Twin totally Peaks. agree. And you know, what actually just occurs to me. Um, so I've said on the podcast before, I think in a prior spoiler section that I think it's really like, I like, and am completely unnerved and horrified by the way that fire walk with me presents the Leland Bob relationship, which I think is, is more interesting and like, terrifying than in the core Twin Peaks series. Yep. You know, which I think is, is more airs more on the mystical side of things, whereas Fire Walk with Me airs more on the uh suggest like sort of metaphorical child abuse side of things. What that makes me really curious about is whether season three of Twin Peaks is going to reframe that yet again because the I mean the series ends with Bob possessing Cooper. Right. So like the way that the the way that, that is depicted in season three of Twin Peaks 
I think will once again retroactively say a lot about what the show considers Bob to be, right? Is it like a, a an evocation of these characters, like darkest impulses that exist? Or is he just like a wacky ghost who like possesses people and makes them do things they would not have otherwise done? Right. And it also makes me think that Frost and Lynch see Bob in a slightly different way. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I'm sure. Because I know, um, uh, Mark Frost was not really involved in the movie. And I don't, I think, or what I've heard from people in the forums who pay a lot more attention to sort of the mm-hmm. backstory behind this stuff is because he just wasn't that into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and also I'm not appar- surprised by apparently that. some of the stuff that happens at the end of the last episode of the show was Lynch kind of just going off script and going off the reservation and just mm. basically pulling an all nighter or two and filming all a bunch of crazy stuff and mm-hmm. putting it in the end of the show. Yeah. Um, which seems like that's Lynch's MO a lot of the time on his films. I mean, Lynch just likes getting material yeah. and using it, right? I mean, that's I think that's the case. Well, you're gonna, you, yes, that I is. You had a that's I mean post that's definitely yeah. The there's a forum post with um, me, which has like it's an incredibly long forum post, but it's the yeah. um, it's the user lost in the movies. They've been writing a ton of great stuff on our forums for the whole run of this podcast. But if you go to um, idlethumbs.net, hit the forums link, go to Twin Peaks rewatch, and look at the thread for episode fourteen, demons, and go to the last page. Um, what page is that in case it grows? Uh, I don't actually know because I'm on my oh, phone. That's, that's Sorry. You, you'll oh, know because there's a post by me at the top and then just huge posts uh, by Lost in the Movies after that. It's from January 21st. Um, his post discusses the production context of the show in terms of who wrote and directed what and the pace at which Laura's mystery unfolds. And um, But also David Lynch's involvement because he says... Um, a lot of people, including David Lynch, have said, oh, he's not involved in season two because he was off making Wild at Heart. But he said, actually, the dates of that don't match up because here's the production dates oh, of when the episodes oh, were wow. made. Okay. And here's what I actually think about when David Lynch was and wasn't involved, <laughs> including stuff about like Lynch coming back at the end in part because McLaughlin said to Lynch and Frost, you guys are losing control of your show, that it was kind of basically being tacitly run by Harley Payton during oh, the crazy. bulk of season two. Yeah. And like, I think that's part of why... Um, Cooper was for a while potentially not going to be in Firewalk with me and it was just going to be the Chris Isaac character and then just cut to the Laura Palmer story. But then they introduced the Cooper stuff like after Chris Isaac had already been cast as a character. There's like, there's crazy. <laughs> right. Cause if you watch Firewalk with me, Cooper is not really involved at all. He has a couple really cool scenes early on and then it cross fades to him and Albert talking about his visions. But other than that, he's not intertwined in the story at all. Like yeah. he exists entirely separately, but like, the timeline put together here in this thread is is really a fascinating read. It's really good. Nice. That's awesome. In terms of like, it also talks about when the show was put on hiatus and when it was brought back and like. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm going to have to, I missed this pose. I'm going to have to. I, yeah. The Weird yeah. Trouble production of Twin Peaks season two explains a lot, I think. And it's <laughs> it's really worth reading through this. And I, um, I'll try to bring this stuff in plus some of the other stuff that he's been posting into future episodes when we get into this stuff actually happening inside of the run mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is all. Nice. So thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week when we watch. Whatever happens next. I can't remember. I probably has handcuffs put on him. Yeah, yeah, I I remember some of it. uh, Cool. Uh, Thanks for listening. Nadine probably does something wacky. Oh!